is a fan-off production. to episode 368 of Erie International. I am Andy from Germany. I'm Dave from the UK. And I'm David from the United States. Yeah, I, said <laughs> that with, I said that with more still... authority than I meant to. <laughs> <laughs> we've still not discussed the order that we go, so I just had to jump in there and hope we're, for the best. <laughs> we're, we're still, we're still uh, finding back into the groove of recording as a trio. And as I just mentioned today before... David hopped onto the recording. We haven't had David on back-to-back -back episodes since January 2022. That was episode that right. 318, <laughs> and this today is 368. So between 318 and 368, you were on 350, uh, and last week... Accidentally. So back yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, I don't know. You just sat on his computer and suddenly he was on a recording with well, two of his friends. And <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh, okay. No... I guess I'm here for the 350th yeah, <laughs> special occasion. <laughs> it was Gothmering's Dark Place. Today, our main topic is the Phantom Carriage, the second entry in our Silent March movie month on silent movies from the 1920s, The Phantom Carriage from 1921 from Sweden. And so far, among the three of us, we know that each of us is excited to talk about this movie. I am guessing for the same reasons. <laughs> But who knows? It's a dangerous maybe game you're someone... playing, Andy. <laughs> Never <laughs> second maybe guess. Someone... <laughs> maybe someone is excited in a different way than I am to talk about this movie. We will see. Uh, so gents mm. i don't know what do we do here is there anything that you want to talk about or should i just let's get into a little bit of housekeeping as we do and as sometimes i forget or sometimes i'm just not in the mood for it, but i will <laughs> let you know that we are on social media at erint on twitter erie international on instagram and facebook our email address is erie international at gmail.com keep the messages coming because there haven't been some in a while and we know that All of you listeners are excited that David is back. So this is your chance to get some answers from David. Send him some messages. Send him some love. Send him welcome back uh, greeting cards, whatever. Yeah, We want to hear from you. David wants to hear from you. And if you are <laughs> nice and send us nice messages, he might come back a third time in a row. Who knows? It might, it might happen. No promises, but yeah, it might happen. <laughs> Oh, we are not letting you go for a silent march. You have to stay with us for the next two movies <laughs> at least. And then we That's will it. have you roped back in and it will just be um, second nature to you again as it used to be. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that was housekeeping. Um, so, what's up? Any news on Eurovision, Dave? I have nothing. Uh, no, no. Um, it's It's been... 
drama of a, a very different type this week. Uh, there's been some ructions at the BBC because Gary Lineker, the host of Match of the Day, said uh, that some of the language that the government was using was similar to that used in Germany in the 1930s. And then the BBC said, right, you're not hosting Match of the Day anymore. And now everybody on Match of the Day has said they're not going to be doing it tonight. And everybody on Football Focus at the midday said, we're not hosting either because we think that you should allow Gary to say what the fuck he wants on his personal social media account. And I agree with him and them. And so that is everything that's gone on this week. There's been no Eurovision news other than the fact that we have chosen our entry for the song contest. Looks like we're taking it seriously again. Um, I've not heard the song yet. I think it's going to be very difficult for it to get anywhere near the quality of last year's entry. But uh, we shall wait and see. But no, it's all just kind of tickets went on sale this week. And guess what? Uh, Sold out within 90 minutes. And now you have to pay thousands for... Uh, for a ticket for Eurovision because scalpers, no matter where you are in the world, one of the constant truths along with death and taxes is that scalpers are a bunch of cunts. <laughs> I'm no, I, Do you I'm, know the person? <laughs> Do you know the person who's your entry this year? Um, I wish I could remember. I know it's a female artist. Uh, I'm just going to Google yeah. it right now. But, <laughs> but no she's a specialist in breakup aware songs. Of. No, no. Um, she, she's uh, a specialist she's in Taylor breakup Swift. songs. Um, she's very much uh, influenced, I would imagine, by Taylor Swift because God knows no one made breakup songs before Taylor Swift became a person. <laughs> um, here we are. British uh, May Muller. So she's got a German name. So that's good. Um, she's been announced <laughs> as our entrant this year. Um, yeah, so uh, we'll see. We'll see what the song um, is like. I'll, I'll check it out at some point and report back next week about that. But uh, that's the only real substantive Eurovision news that there's been. Um, it's just been. Whenever one of those I think weeks. of, whenever I think of uh, last year's entry, and I'm already blanking on his name again, Sam Ryder. Uh, but just yeah. from the just from the look of him, I always think of British Hangman Page. Yes. <laughs> I wish I had been at last year's contest because I would have just been chanting cowboy shit, cowboy shit, <laughs> all the way into the entry. No, he's... Uh, and do you know what? There's something about Sam Ryder that he's just so infectiously, wonderfully lovely. Okay. He's, I thought you not said Sam Ryder something both times. It, yeah, it, I, was, it, I heard something like Sam Ryder. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, um, he, he's just got this infectious enthusiasm about him. Like he's genuinely so happy just to be there. Um, whenever someone's got him on the TV show or at Eurovision or whatever, and I, I hope that that kind of um, enthusiasm can be mirrored by uh, by May Muller this year. But I, she's going to find it very difficult because, like, that guy is bordering on like psychopathic levels of happiness. Uh, <laughs> he's such a lovely guy, he really is. But yeah, that's that's everything. That's everything we've got. I think all of the entries for Eurovision have to be announced by the, I think it's the seventeenth or the nineteenth of March. So we've only got around a week for all of the other entries to be confirmed. So hang on to your hats, everybody. <laughs> David, what's new in your neck of the woods? Not too much. I mean, are we going into stuff we watched as well, or is this just... If you want to, sure. Okay, all right. Um, yeah, news-wise, uh, I don't really have anything. I worked all all the past week. Um, 
the uh, the new Ninja Turtles and Super Mario Brothers trailers uh, were a big hit in my oh, house yeah. with my son Daniel. Uh, we're very excited for those. I'm probably ex- more excited for that Mario movie than any other movie this year. <laughs> I, I have gotten so pumped for it. every single trailer that's come out has looked mm. great. And the newest one that came out the other day has like um, so many little details. Like when they're before the Mario Kart segment in the newest trailer, like you can see them choosing their carts and it's the same format as the Mario Kart game. And it's, oh, it's also nice. just super faithful. It seems like so excited for that. Have you um, seen the Illumination? Let me tell you, Biscuit. <laughs> sorry. We're so I'm excited. Just... <laughs> Everyone wants to talk about Mario. No, just <laughs> just I, uh, right in front of me, I have a list of um, release dates uh, for, for movies that come out in Germany. And um, just a week after the Super Mario movie is Suzume, the new movie by the Your Name guy, whose name I'm always oh, forgetting. Yeah. So That's just awesome. within eight days, there's Super Mario and Suzume in German cinema. <laughs> I still need to watch uh, Weathering with You. Is that what it's called? Yeah. The yeah. follow-up. I still haven't Wonderful. seen that one. Yeah, I've, Such I've a heard good nothing but good things. It really is. I, I, um, I went into that thinking there's no way that this is going to get anywhere near Your Name. And I was right in a sense because Your Name is the greatest <laughs> movie ever made, of course. But Weathering with You, it got, it got so close. It got yeah. so close. It really is a really well-made movie. Bianchi and I came out of the cinema and just said, well, bloody bloody hell, he did it again. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Oh, and I'm excited for the... uh, Go on, sorry. uh, Oh, yeah. Well, I was going to ask about that, too. Um, Does that collaboration continue into Weathering With You and the new one? It did, but not to the same level. They did one or two songs for it. Okay, Um, that's fine. But they've got a UK uh, leg of their tour coming up. And uh, I don't oh, cool. think I'm going to be able to make it, but it's really cool that they're so well known now that they're able to tour Europe. Yeah. Uh, okay, I can mention that. Speaking of um, of live shows, I did buy tickets for my dad and I to go see. I I think my first ever live podcast. I could be wrong Ooh. about that. I'm trying to remember. Um, I've obviously listened to tons of live episodes of different podcasts because they put them out there every once in a while, but I've never been to one. Um, but next month, uh, the bad friends podcast is going to be in Indianapolis. Um, so Bobby Lee and Andrew Santino and and their crew. Um, and that's been a podcast I've still kind of stayed up with, not through podcasting apps, but through YouTube as I work. Um, and it's been, uh, it's been a nice anti-depression, um, weapon for me lately. So when they, uh, announced they were doing a tour, my dad has gotten more and more into stand-up comedy lately and has asked me for recommendations of people and <clears throat> different shows and, and gaps he has kind of in his comedy knowledge. Not that I'm an expert, but he's just not followed it for a long time. Um, so he's he's gotten into Bobby Lee some. So I asked him if he wanted to go with me. So we'll go do that next month. So hopefully that'll be fun. Um, I think they do their live shows differently than the podcast normally. Uh, in terms of like, I don't know format or if it's a uh, some hybrid like stand up to. I'm I'm not 100 percent sure, but excited either way. Mm. Um, okay, I guess I can talk about what I watched this week and just jump into that. Uh, it's not a ton. Um, let me pull up my uh, letterboxed here. I did rewatch Scream Five, or just Scream, I guess. Um, <laughs> I noticed on iTunes uh, when I went to. Uh, um, I, it was on sale, so I, I just bought a digital copy of it. 
Um, it says Scream, it has all the stuff, and then above it in small letters says, all new movie, exclamation point. <laughs> so it makes me wonder if it backfired on them a little and people were not realizing it was new. Um, but uh, five yeah, it's... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Five Cream. It's uh, it's cool. I liked it. I, I liked it a sl- slightly less than when I saw it in the theater. Um, just because it is pretty stupid like in a way that they lean into um this is going to be two weeks in a row that i'm quoting reviews by jake dion over on letterbox but he uh he said something i agreed with he was like even if you're even if your movie knows that it's being stupid that doesn't mean it's not stupid it doesn't you know override the fact that it's it's kind of dopey to begin with the the acting the characters it's all a little crazy but the the violence the kills the atmosphere all that's awesome there's a lot of good moments in it um, so yeah, definitely still a fan um, and worth a watch. I obviously rewatched it because the new movie Scream Six came out um, this weekend here in the states, but I have not gotten to the theater yet. I'm planning on it at some point. Um, and then I watched a movie by the Duffer Brothers, creators of Stranger Things, a movie that Andy has seen and talked about on the show, but I don't remember anything beyond that. <laughs> Called uh, uh, Hidden. I don't remember Andy. You, I think you liked it, right? I think that's why I watched it. I did like it, yeah, and I even picked it as a double feature pick a few weeks ago. I believe it was during our Edgar Wright one in series. Uh, so that's that's the last time that I mentioned it on the show. And yeah, I, I it's been a few years, but I I like that movie. Yeah, I did too. It's uh, it's it's pretty cool. It it definitely is one that like the third act added a lot of points to it for me. Um, before that, it's, it's a, a real kind of slow burn. I don't know if it's slow burn. It's just slowly paced. It's, it's, it's obviously a, uh, low budget movie. You can see that, but it's one of those situations where I think the talent on all levels, um, shines through and, and it really kind of overrides the, the budget, um, in pretty much every situation for the most part, there's some special effects here and there that you see, you're like, okay, that's, you know, some kind of wonky CG, but for the most part, um, yeah, it's just, I thought really well made Alexander Sarsgaard and, uh, Mandy from Mandy. I always forget her name. Andrea Riseborough, I think. Yeah. Um, they're the, they're the two basically leads and their daughter. Uh, they're in a sort of like underground bomb shelter. Um, they've been down there for a year. There are people or creatures or something, um, above ground that they call breathers, uh, that make these weird breathing sounds and they can hear them walking around and they're looking for them. And you kind of don't really know anything other than that um, until midway through kind of third acty, where they start giving you flashbacks and, and more explanations on what the world was like before and what's going on. And um, it's definitely a movie that plays on your expectations a ton. So, I mean, from the jump, when it started, I was like, I, I know this is not going to be what I expect. <laughs> they, they're setting it up in a certain way so that they can kind of subvert that. Um, but the subversion is cool. I, I, I like the idea quite a bit. Um, it was interesting seeing them make a film as opposed to a TV show in terms of how they approach the material, the writing, the acting, um, even, you know, just the way that they film it. Um, but you know, with, I would imagine a minuscule budget compared to how much they've gotten on stranger things. Um, still really, really solid, really strong, cool. Like it's, it's definitely a horror movie, but it's one of those that like that comes in a little bit later before that. It's kind of a, um, a nice, like, kind of small, contained thriller. 
Um, but yeah, definitely worth a watch, especially if you like Stranger Things. I mean, there's there's some similar themes. Won't get into all of them, but there are uh, there's some crossover. Obviously, the their daughter's the movie she plays a big role. Um, so there's a lot of that sort of parental child adult kind of um, ways that they're viewing the world and and metaphors and all that. Um, but everyone's really committed to it, which I, I love like, uh, Alexander Sarsgaard and, and Riseborough. I mean, those are two fantastic actors that, that pull in like great performances and tons of stuff, but they also are completely down to do genre, uh, which I think is cool. Alexander Skarsgård plays the, the world's hottest scientist in Godzilla versus Kong. <laughs> like, I don't believe it for a second, but I'm glad he's in it. Um, so Yeah. It's they're they're committed to it and and it all worked. I I really dug it. It's on. Um, I bought it on iTunes. I think it was on sale for like five bucks. And um, yeah, like I said, literally because I was like, I think Andy liked this and talked about it years ago. So I rolled the dice and uh, yeah, recommend it for sure. It's it's pretty cool. And it seems like pretty underseen. I picked it to pair with The Damned from 1963 uh, with a very young. Oliver Reed in one of his, or maybe even his first screen role. And oh, I would cool. like you to watch that movie because there were so many elements of that movie that reminded me of Stranger Things and of The Hidden. Oh, cool. And okay. as much, uh, so much that I said, I, I, I can't say if the Duffers have seen this movie, but I would not be surprised if this was a movie that they maybe as kids had seen on TV once <laughs> and somehow <laughs> yeah. elements of that story um, just stayed in their minds. And of, of course, there's the possibility of other other books and movies and, and, and w whatever that could have influenced the Duffers. But there were just details and, and, and story elements in that movie where I kept just thinking of Stranger Things and, and of The Hidden. So The Damned, 1963. Sweet. Yeah, I'll add it to the list. Um haven't seen it yet but it's it's on uh, youtube of course next okay cool <laughs> um <clears throat> yeah that's it for me otherwise i've been um working and um playing video games randomly i got back into elden ring because uh darren over at and world he's starting it for the first time so i started a new character so i can jump in there and help him and play along too with what he's and it's been awesome already um that game came out right in the middle of like things starting to be really really bad for me um in terms of mental health and everything last year so i played a lot of it and i have almost no memory <laughs> of what i played so it was a lot of me going over to a friend's house to play it with him just to get my mind off of everything um so in a lot of ways it feels like i'm playing it for the first time now so that's been that's been pretty fun uh that's it for me what about you guys dave anything apart from BBC football <laughs> scandals. <laughs> Apart from the horror that is our state broadcast of the BBC, um, no, I've I've been terrible where it's where, where horror has been related in the last week. Um, the only thing that I really spent any time doing was going out to watch Creed Free um, review, oh, which is uh, my review is on Letterboxd. I enjoyed it. Um, the only thing I will say is that the plot isn't exactly the most complex or deep that you will ever experience. But it's well. a movie about two guys <laughs> it's beating two guys the punching shit out of each, each other, other, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I, I think that. Well, let me let me ask you this, Dave. Yeah. Go I, on. Sorry, I'm I'm, but I I imagine you may have heard about this a similar thing that I did. I mm -hmm. was, I love the first film. I like the second one. I don't think it's as strong as the first one, but I like it. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't even know they were making a third until I saw a trailer. I, I was completely <laughs> out of the loop on it. 
And then I was kind of like, yeah, I'll probably watch it, but I don't know. Like, we're three in at this point. And then I saw all these references to how Michael B. Jordan, uh, who directed it, was influenced by anime yep. uh, in the movie. So <laughs> I want to know about that. How true is that? Like, does it... Oh. Because right away, that's that's a that's a, a juxtaposition that doesn't seem like a natural fit for that franchise. Um, so dudes. that's what's got me so interested in seeing it. <laughs> it It is 100% true. And... Look, he cool. he actually, uh, when he's been doing the press for this uh, movie, he's spoken about his influences uh, and he's named them. And he mentioned a particular series called Hajime no Ippo, which is um, also known in the US as, I think, Fighting Spirit, I think. Um, but basically, it's a boxing anime about a kid that um, just takes up boxing um, as a way of in- improving his uh, confidence and to kind of help him steer clear of bullying and things like that and it's it's a really really good show i watched it a long time ago up to a certain point and then life got in the way and i kind of forgot to watch it and then i ended up not coming back to it it came onto netflix recently so i watched in the space of a few days i watched about 34 episodes of hajime <laughs> um i will assume that that cough was out of surprise uh, <laughs> uh just yeah like, i it always it never fails to impress me and surprise me when you watch more anime <laughs> in an hour period than is possible <laughs> i assume you've got two tvs on uh just taking it all in <laughs> it was during a time when um we, we we i haven't really spoken about this too much but uh granddad broke his hip at the end of last year and spent a couple of months in hospital and uh, that meant that there was an awful lot of downline time at home so i i was literally just laying there just watching anime at night mm. and uh, and at some points yeah. during the day as well um so i got through a lot of it but don't ever be surprised by the amount of spare time that i can wring out of a couple of hours <laughs> I've, I've got this ability it seems to bend the space-time continuum so that i can watch at least twice as much anime as the time allows um, it's very efficient. I I am extremely efficient <laughs> at doing <laughs> these things. But they've they've released recently another tranche of episodes on Netflix for Hajime no Ippo, so I'm going to go back and watch that. But there is one specific moment in the film. I mean, there are several that are references to different anime, whether it be Dragon Ball or One Piece or things like that. But there is one specific moment where... I'm not going to name names, but I basically somebody gets punched in the bread basket and it takes the wind out of them. And there's this wide-eyed expression on their face, like they, their eyes are about as far open as they can be. And, I can picture it already. <laughs> and it's very anime. It's very anime. It is straight out of a scene from Hajime no Ippo. Like it's it's a hundred percent anime. Um, all it was missing was the was the spit flying from his mouth. You know, like, and and that would have been enough, <laughs> but it's um, it's a really really well crafted film. Like from a directorial point of view, um, I I think Michael B. Jordan has done a brilliant job with this film. It feels very tonally different from the other two films when it comes to certain fights. Um, but what he does really well is that there are, it, it's almost like he ramps it up. You start off with a fight, and it's just like your standard Rocky slash Creed fair. Um, and then it starts bringing in these little references like slowing things down and a fighter spotting an opening and just kind of committing it to memory. Um, he gave an interview where at one point, one of the fight sequences, he was going to have speech bubbles 
above their heads <laughs> saying what they were going to what what they were thinking during the fight and he ended up watching it that edit and saying no this is too silly and he took the speech <laughs> bubbles out he kept the fight but he took the speech bubbles out and the great thing about that is that even without those speech bubbles you absolutely get what's going through those two fighters minds when they're facing off against each other but the visuals that he uses um the the way that he transports characters almost into another world at times where it's just them and and their adversary and everything else kind of melts into the background it is so anime it really is um and i i was very similar to you i i I wasn't really particularly bothered about whether there was going to be another creed movie and then i heard the announcement that there was going to be one and i was like oh that's a surprise but i guess i'll watch it at some point and then i heard about all of the anime stuff and then on top of the anime stuff, I started seeing the reviews for all the movies that are currently out and seeing that uh, Creed 3 was getting a much better review score than Ant-Man and the Wasp yep. Quantum Mania. And I was just like, do you know what? I missed if I'm gonna be if I'm gonna be comfortable missing Wakanda forever and waiting for it to come out on Disney Plus, I'm sure as hell gonna be okay doing the same thing for Ant Man and the Wasp. So Did I did I tell you guys I've seen the first forty minutes of Ant Man and the Wasp? No, don't think nope. so. <laughs> I took Daniel to a couple weeks ago. I took him to um, this Legoland. So there's like, I guess Legoland. There's like two or three in the world, yeah. like the actual theme parks or whatever. And then they have these Legoland Discovery Centers, and I think there's like twenty or thirty of those. Um, I'm, I'm assuming worldwide, but there's more in the U.S. And uh, so there's one in a state over. So I took Daniel there um, for the weekend, and we. Went to bookstores and, you know, hung out and went to Legoland and it was super fun. Uh, on our way out, we were in a mall. The Legoland was part of this huge mall. And uh, there was a theater that had um, served you food at the same time. So I was like, all right, perfect. We can have lunch and I can knock that out. And then we can watch a movie and then go home. And this son of a bitch, not to call a man to that, <laughs> but this little <laughs> bastard, he sat through two, almost three hours of Wakanda forever. Mm. And... Didn't complain for a second. A movie he had never seen the first one. I was just like, you want to go see a movie? There's a superhero movie. We went and watched it. 30 minutes, 30, 40 minutes into uh, Ant-Man, he leaned over and he was like, I don't I don't want you to be upset because uh, I know you want to watch the movie, but this is boring and I want to go home and play with my Legos. <laughs> so I was like, <laughs> I mean, all right, that's fine. Like literally there's alien, you go to an alien world within 10 minutes of Ant-Man mm. 3 and this six-year-old boy, could not have been more bored. I did not understand like the <laughs> the difference, but so I was like, yeah, that's fine. So I've seen. I, I didn't even get to see Kang. <laughs> like it was, I got to see it the first oh, third of the movie. Don't worry, basically. we've we've all seen Kang at this point. That's uh, true. <laughs> as well as Modok. Um, good lord. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Bill Murray had literally said on screen, um, "He's not quite a man or a machine. More of a uh, what is it now? I forget." Mechaniz- mechanical organism designed only for killing <laughs> and that was when daniel was like it's time to go and i was like you're an idiot there's a man with a giant head with tiny arms and legs that's about to show up i think you're gonna miss it i think you've done too good of a job raising that kid so far and uh, <laughs> you should probably dumb down his media intake so that he can <laughs> yeah. he can come back down to our levels uh, <laughs> um Hey, no, look, it, I, I'm actually, I'm really impressed by the fact that, like you said, he's not seen the original Black Panther. He sat through a near three-hour movie, which not only is, like, it, it's it's very proudly African, right? 
And what yeah. I mean by that is that it's not a culture that he's necessarily grown up around in any great amount. And he's sat through that movie and he's taken it in and he's invested in it and, and he's obviously not been bored by it because he's clearly from what you've just said about Ant-Man he's not above turning around and saying I'm really sorry but I'm bored now yeah. um, and that's, that's all a great these point white people because... I'm going to go now <laughs> Where, where's all the black people in this movie <laughs> yeah well it, that's I'm, I'm glad you said that because I forgot when, when we that was pretty cool when we watched Black Panther like at the beginning it opens with uh, like a funeral march basically but there's a there's a beauty to it there's mm. you know there's all these traditions and and part of the culture that's celebrating his life you know even though it's sad and that was a moment where he asked me later he's like why were they you know why were they dancing and what was this i, I thought sure. you know and explaining like oh no it's it's different you know in different places and and also being able to explain that um when someone dies we celebrate their life we don't you know only mourn and despair about their death and mm. um so yeah that, that that was pretty cool Ant man 3 didn't have um really anything like that in the first third that i saw uh, other than a great joke about how many holes scott lang has on his body uh, which i i enjoyed <laughs> to compare the two <laughs> i'm just doing a quick mental count up in my head and i I That's literally it. what he does in the movie that makes it funny. <laughs> Someone says, this man has seven holes because he's, uh, he's telepathic. And you see Paul Rudd like counting them in his head and he's like, yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's a good moment. Oh, Jesus Christ. Oh, man. It's the difference between popcorn movies and, and slightly because I, I, I would, having not seen either of these movies, I'm obviously very qualified to talk about them both and, and where they come from artistically. But it, I feel like Wakanda Forever is much more of a, a film that d delves into the idea of like grief and um, loss. Uh, but also you've, you've got this whole... Um, namor the submariner thing going on and i i'm not entirely sure whether that means that they're it's, i it's a weird one but anyway all i'm saying is that ant-man is proper popcorn movie stuff and yeah. i think wakanda forever probably is slightly higher than that still popcorn but more still depth, popcorn sure. but yeah, yeah. I, I feel like they probably put a little bit more time and and effort having not seen yeah, either of these movies there's obviously a there's a reality <laughs> element at play too because you know they're honoring Chadwick Boseman, and um, yeah, and that yeah, may well have elevated it in watch. some people's minds, I guess, yeah. uh, as well. I don't have that, superhero don't fatigue, like mm. people mention. But I was talking to Austin the other day, uh, who you guys know. I mentioned that casually on the show. Um, our friend, uh, I used to do a podcast with him. I guess still kind of do sometimes. Uh, and I was telling him, I was like, I think I'm, 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 I'm done in the sense that I'm not as invested. Like the Iron Man to Endgame you know, mm. saga, whatever you want to call it. Like kind of when that ended, I think that's for me, it wasn't that I was like, okay, now I will never watch anymore. Now they're going to be bad. Or it was just kind of like, this was an amazing, awesome multi-year thing for me as a, a childhood, you know, comic book fan and being able to see this like universe they built. It was unprecedented in terms of like a shared universe. So now I'm just kind of like, if I happen to catch one, I'll watch it. Like I'm, I'm kind of in this place where, um, I'm not going to see all of them in the theater like I used to, and yeah. there's there's less investment. Same um, here, same here. I, yeah. I feel like their TV division really has been where I've found the most enjoyment from their current uh, raft of of content. Like She-Hulk, I really enjoyed. I know it's not everyone's cup of tea, but you know what can I do about that? I enjoy it. Um, I hope that Beyond the Grave um, 
the father of Swedish cinema can listen to this episode and hear us talk about all these movies that I'm sure <laughs> they, before we talk about the Phantom Carriage. <laughs> hey, look, I, they might want to re- rewind back to this section after I've started talking about my thoughts on that. That's true. Film. Um, but yeah, like it, I, I, I think, uh, and, and then we we can absolutely move on to what Andy watched because I've added nothing of value to this conversation at all. Um, I think tangents, baby. Uh, well, yeah, I'm, I'm all about my left left and right tangents. Um, I think my main problem with Marvel right now is the fact that although they've done a decent job at slowly building up Kang through all of these different properties, whether it be Loki or... um, They've not really touched him in the films at all. It's more been kind of like Loki and and the surrounding um, TV products. Not even the TV products. This is the problem. This is the problem. We're, we're how many films deep into this phase and we're only now meeting Kang really for the first time properly. And it's like they the build-up to this has just been all over the place in a way that I didn't ever really feel was a problem with um, the, the previous phase with uh, Thanos because Thanos was introduced fairly early even though he was just a shadowy character just sitting in the background. It was teased, yeah. but he was still... He was made up to be more of a, a threat, but it, at the same time, quite a mystery. Whereas with this phase, we're like, okay, well, we've already met a variant of Kang, and he was more of a comedy character. And why should I be at all bothered about this guy at all? And it's just, I, I feel like they've missed a step somewhere along the line, and maybe they teased it out too long or something. But this whole phase just kind of feels like, um, especially stepping down from Thanos, like they they've kind of missed a beat or missed a trick somewhere along the line i'm not entirely sure but um i know me and tyler have had a conversation about this very briefly on twitter and we came to the same basic conclusion it's just like they kind of fucked it (laughs) they took too long (laughs) between bad guys to you know maybe they could have had like a bridging bad guy who was like three or four films and then they could have moved into a, a big bad again i don't know but anyway um yeah, I've not watched anything. So, Andy, please. <laughs> so, I learned three things in these last few minutes. First, from the way that Dave pronounced the name, I'm assuming in the latest Ant-Man movie, Namur is French. Uh, I had no actually, idea. you might be. I, I think you're joking, um, but that is that is part of it. Yes, because <laughs> he's uh, <laughs> it plays because it's supposed to be. Uh, something love amor it's it's spanish because he's um yeah, i see uh mesoamerican <laughs> in the movie so <laughs> yeah when you said that i was like yeah, you're actually right <laughs> i've heard people call him all kinds of different variations <laughs> yeah <laughs> second thing i didn't know about the anime influences to creed but i'm looking forward to adonis uh, to seeing adonis slide into the ring on a motorbike hell yeah <laughs> oh man the I was only very anime surprised reference that everyone knows. <laughs> <laughs> I was very surprised that Dave got away with saying the phrase speech bubble several times without David exploding in rage. Yeah, it wasn't technically <laughs> a comic, so I was like, this would be a weird thing for me to nitpick. Uh, so I just went, British. I muted my mic and went into the other room and screamed and then came back. So we're all good. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's, that's just I completely forgot all American... about that, to be fair. <laughs> I think I think in England it's correct to say speech bubble. Oh, that's yeah, right. That's just can't yeah, well, respect my Americans culture then, bitches. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
So I didn't watch any horror this week, but I also don't have really any uh, other tangents to go on, and I don't want to bore you with uh, musical films that I watched <laughs> last week. <laughs> um, uh, because there's no Singing in the Rain franchise, sorry. I can't say anything about all the TV spin-offs and the streaming service that came out of Singing in the Rain. So. Man, I missed um, I missed Bitter Andy. Bitter about the state of, <laughs> of film. <laughs> <laughs> I, I still think I, I've mentioned I, this one to thing, you guys off one, air. Go ahead. <laughs> one thing I want to add to the um, Marvel discussion, because I don't really... I haven't seen any of the shows because I don't have Disney Plus and I'm not that interested. Uh, and I there are several movies that I haven't watched. Um, but to the discussion of um, superhero fatigue and and did they miss the mark on anything or, or did they I don't know do anything wrong? I think there's also just a turning point in cinema because cinema goes in cycles, and um, I'm I think that we're currently. Um, in a phase where audiences get back to being interested in other types of movies than the movies that they watched for the last 20 years. Yeah, yeah. no, I, I don't disagree. Because um, I, I think, I mean, the numbers sort of reflect that too. Um, like already with, they're all still making tons of money, obviously, but um, they're not making as much. And they're also not doing as well critically, you know, as the, like they used to be. So um, I, I would not be at all surprised if, if you're right. I think too, like, it's not for anybody out there who is like bummed about that or is, you know, big superhero fan. Like it's, it's not going to go away completely. Like this, this has been such a part of the landscape now that's proven popular with lots of people. Austin and I talk about this a lot too, how the next generation of um, filmmakers are, our kids who grew up watching Marvel movies, those were the movies they watched from their childhood into adolescence and, and older. And how is that going to influence, you know, the landscape and moving forward for, you know, whether it's something that is playing into that or it's something that wants to subvert that. Um, yeah. It's always, obviously this stuff is easy to pinpoint in retrospect because, you know, then it's solidified in time. But like you said, I think the, that's the stuff that interests me is like, okay, what is, what is this going to mean for future filmmakers? How are they going to, cause for all of us that are older, these are all just on multiple levels, you know, kind of the most satisfying sort of popcorn entertainment you can get. Cause it's, it's feeding directly. I mean, the new flash movie, uh, it's got Michael Keaton, Batman. <laughs> like I, as soon as I saw that in the trailer, there was part of me that was excited, but there was also part of me that's like, man, the amount of kids that are going to be like, who the fuck is this dude? Like Ben Affleck's Batman. I've never seen this guy before. Um, it's and why are we watching it, it, Ezra Miller? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that too. Um, but anyway. <clears throat> All right. With that, I think we can lead into our main topic of the day. And I'm asking David, do you have another summary as you did last week is this the movie about the worst uber driver in the world uh, what's your take <laughs> this is the movie a movie about the worst uber driver or uber company in the world that they have one position and when you sign on you do it for a year and every day that you do it feels like a hundred years on earth <laughs> i believe they say something like that so yeah that's my take so <laughs> 
The Phantom Marriage is a 1921 Swedish silent film directed and starring Victor Sjöström based on the 1912 novel Thy Soul, <laughs> Thy Soul Shall Bear Witness by Swedish author Selma Lagerlöf. In the film, Sjöström plays a drunkard named David Holm who on the night of New Year's Eve is compelled by the ghostly driver of Death's Carriage to reflect on his past mistakes alongside Sjöström. The film's cast include Hilda Bergström, Tori Svenberg and Astrid Holm. So, um, just to set us up here, Selma Lagerlöf, who wrote the novel that the movie is based on, was one of the most famous Swedish writers. She won the um, P uh, Nobel Prize for Literature in 1909. Um, I know her work mostly from a, um animated TV series adaptation of The Adventures of... Uh, Niels Holgersson, which I watched as a child, which was on TV when I was young, and I really liked that show. And and then later on, I learned that she wrote all these serious novels as well and won the Nobel Prize. And um, the 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 I think the some some movie production company made a contract with her to adapt like a novel a year or so uh, by her. And yeah. Victor Sjöström already had adapted i think three novels before he did the phantom carriage um and yeah then he did the phantom carriage and starred in it and wrote it seems like the guy was very prolific and very productive uh, and also you, and you probably and saw sorry i didn't mean to interrupt you we have a little bit of a delay um you probably saw this too it's on the wikipedia page but Uh, the dedicate you mentioned like how dedicated he was also to get the film produced he performed just like the book, the script in front of the author for like two or three hours. <laughs> uh, and then she was like, let's go get dinner. And he took that as like a thumbs up and that's what got yeah. it. It sold. So yeah, or not sold, but agreed to adapt that. Cause I think it said something about how she was reluctant at first to approve it because yeah. there are these occult, you know, supernatural elements and she wasn't quite sure how they'd pull that off. And um, they do spoiler alert. Go ahead, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, she was skeptical um, if that was the novel that that they should adapt. But yeah, then he convinced her. Uh, I was very surprised when I read on Wikipedia where it says it took eight days to write the script. <laughs> well, yeah, I know. Well, again, very productive, very prolific. <laughs> That's right. <yeah. laughs> Writes a script in eight days. Um, so, uh, as I mentioned in the beginning of the show, uh, we all texted to each other how excited we were to talk about this movie um i'm not as convinced anymore that we all have the same look at this movie so <laughs> dave <laughs> you were the first one last night or, or last uh, yesterday that texted i only have 20 minutes to go in this movie and i'm already excited to talk about it so go ahead if he's back what's your he stepped away i don't know if oh. he's back yet <laughs> yeah, when I uh, when I talk into the microphone, I don't see messages on the phone. We chat That's, each other on uh, WhatsApp. Yeah. <laughs> um. I well, you do you want me to go or do you want to go? Um, David, go ahead. Okay. Um. I I need to go back and look and see how many five out of five star movies I've done. Um. That I've I've logged on Letterbox for the show because it's not many. Um. I know Caligari was another one. And this was another one for me. Uh, I absolutely loved this movie from beginning to end on every level. Um, I got super pulled in 
pretty much instantly. I, I think the, I watched the Criterion Blu-ray. I mentioned that last week. Um, so I didn't even go and look. Did you guys watch it on YouTube? Is that where it's, I'm assuming that's on there? I did, but it was the Criterion version that they had put on YouTube. Not them. Oh, perfect. Okay, cool. Not, not, not Criterion, but whoever had put it on YouTube <laughs> took it from the Criterion release. It starts <laughs> okay, with the Criterion logo. <laughs> okay, awesome. So yeah, there's, there's a lot of interesting stuff there um, as well that you can look on the uh, Wikipedia article for the film in terms of the different prints that they, they used. Um, there was a Swedish print in the 70s that uh, was kind of the closest, I think, that they were able to get, and that was the print that Criterion used. Um, they mentioned at the very end, after the movie's over, there's some scrolling text mm -hmm. about that restoration process, and then it's also on the, the Wikipedia page. But that was, I mentioned <clears throat> that because that was one of the very first things I noticed was how good it looked, like how yeah. how clear, how, it, but obviously it's a silent film, so there's all that roughness and you know, and exposure and like the, the, the flicker. sometimes there's permanent scratches and yeah. Um, I, I think I've gotten to the point now where that aesthetic and, and it's not even an aesthetic. It's just, you know, the equipment of the time uh, is one of my favorites. I, I can, I can get pulled into that vibe and atmosphere so instantly. I think there's a reason why, even though it's fun nowadays when people do grindhouse throwback stuff and try to add those effects in, there's a reason it never feels completely right. Um, <clears throat> at least to me, um, for the most, I'm trying to think how the artist felt. The artist was the first silent film I ever watched. And that was in like 2012. Uh, the movie was made in 2012. I mean, um, but the, the atmosphere is instantly there and just the, the clarity of this print um, everything about it, the, the soundtrack. So the, the score on the criterion disc, there are two, uh, there's one that was performed live. That was like an orchestral score. in I believe the nineties in Sweden. Uh, and the other one <clears throat> is by an electronic kind of experimental electronic duo. Uh, it's like KTL or something. I need to go back and find it. Um, one half of them, I, I looked them up and one half of them is, uh, I don't know how you actually pronounce it, but it's like Sun O with a bunch of parentheses. Um, he did the soundtrack for The Devil's Candy horror movie. Anyway, mm -hmm. um, so I watched it with with that score, with the more um, kind of it's it's not noise, but it, it's it, it definitely gave it more of a a sinister vibe, and that was one of the things I thought was interesting too. Uh, that uh, historically, the film's title has changed. Um, I don't know if this was the person's opinion writing the article or, or if it's just fact, but, uh, it reflected how differently they marketed the movie, <laughs> depending on when it came out and where it came out with different titles, because it could be viewed as, uh, you know, this drama or a horror movie or a morality tale or like a religious, um, sort of, of, uh, drama as well. And that, that for me right away with that score, I was like, all right, this is the kind of the mindset I want to be in. Um, but yeah, I, sorry, I'm going, I'm going on and on and on. Dave's back too. So I'll stop there and not go into more detail, but overall, absolutely loved it. Dave, you're back. What'd you think? Hello everybody. Sorry about that. I had to step away for a minute. Um, so I, uh, I, I watched, I think the Criterion Collection version of the movie, um, which was on YouTube because of course it was, um, 
And I agree with what you were saying about the. Did we watch the same version? Did you see the Criterion one as well, David? Yes. You did? Yeah, okay. we just talked about it. Andy watched uh, the same thing you did. Sure. Someone took the Criterion and put it on YouTube. Lovely. So the um, the soundtrack uh, to, to that version of the movie I really liked. I thought that the music, especially in the final 15 minutes of the film, was exceptionally well suited to what we were seeing on screen. Um, I think that the look of the film is at times really gorgeous actually and much better than the contemporary uh works that i've seen from the same kind of era um it just seemed very 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 much crisp and clear um it didn't feel like if you were to see them in real life that they would be caked in makeup like it felt like real human beings just standing in front of the camera which is a marked improvement on some of the other movies. Um, the plot is like quite simplistic, um, which, fair enough, it's the early days of cinema. They're telling simple stories, but I just couldn't get on with the pacing or the length or the way that they chose to tell the story or the jumping backwards and forwards in time. Um, I There's one moment in the movie where David Holm is in prison and I love the design of all of that like the narrow doors and everything like it's really really cool um but he's taken into like one of the neighboring cells and his brother's there and it's like we're going to charge you with the crimes that your brother committed and then he's out in time for his kids to still be like four or five years old and I'm like okay so either you weren't charged with what your brother did or <laughs> in which case you can't have been in for very long anyway so why is the warden trying to foist a life sentence on you for murder or you were given it and you've just completely fucked the timeline of this film i don't understand so either way that didn't make any sense to me there wasn't any real explanation as far as like what i remember watching uh, as to when these events take place it's not like you know six months before or a year before maybe i missed something um but it just felt very bitty and over overlong and just it i i wish that the rest of the movie was as good as that final 15 minutes because for me that's a really really strong end to a film both from the presentation with the music but also like the the actual acting and the feeling of of tension that the actors portray on screen um, especially David Holm, who apparently was killed by a bottle to the chest, and <laughs> you know, having a bottle broken on your chest is apparently a death blow. But then apparently it isn't a death blow, and it was all just, you know, kind of like a bloody Christmas Carol uh, ride along all along. I don't know. And and they even get the law of the bloody uh, carriage driver uh, confused because if you die on the stroke of uh, midnight on New Year's Day or New Year's Eve into New Year's Day, you become the new coachman for death. Well, how long after then do you become the coachman? Do you, do you, is this like an or, orientation kind of deal where you spend a day with the previous coachman and he tells you what to do? Or And then, you know, they never mention anything about the fact that you can send a guy back. It's just, it's very messy. And I, over, my overall feeling of the film is that I didn't really enjoy it that much at all, unfortunately. And it's a shame. I thought... Did, Andy, did you think we were all on the same page? Well, before we started recording, I did. 
and then <laughs> okay. David said D Dave said something said about yeah. uh, people <laughs> oh, okay. might 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 rather go back to listening him talk about <laughs> She-Hulk. Yeah, uh, and that's when I thought, well, I guess Dave might not be. Uh, on the same page as we are. Sometimes we are I like it. Sometimes I like talking about movies that I didn't enjoy. <laughs> What can I say? <laughs> yeah, it's it's just yeah, I didn't get on with it very well. But there are some wonderful bits of this movie which, in isolation, are like they're really, really excellent. Can't take anything away from them. There. I think we or I watched the version with a different soundtrack than David did. Did I, because neighbors are drilling holes into the wall, so I, I may have missed something. Uh, That's kind of what the David, you said something. You, said, like. you you watched it with a more modern soundtrack. Yeah, um, I think yeah. it was. Here, let me look it up. I think it was done in. Um, man, what was the name of the band? It's like LTA or something. Um, mm. It was done, I think, in the early 2000s i'm double checking it right now uh, ktl so it says two scores one by swedish composer maddie by and the other by the experimental duo ktl um okay. and let's see they did that in 2000 i'm seeing a bunch of different things um but yeah it was modern oh 2016 2016 i guess oh, damn. so yeah i, I don't know if so that's right version, i still don't know version that i watched <laughs> had a score with like saxophone and clarinet and sounded very classical very mm. that was probably the Maddie Vine one then yeah and i i loved the score i loved the soundtrack i thought it was it fitted the movie way better than the synth soundtrack that we had with the penalty last week where i thought <laughs> that it the the soundtrack felt like it was just put on if it fit or not at times at least um, with this score for the Phantom Couch, I thought it was really perfect and, and, and sounded great and, and fit the mood of each scene perfectly. So, yeah, I'm uh, no surprise I'm with David on this one. Watching this movie, it didn't take long before I thought, I think this is how David felt when he watched Caligari for the first time. Because yep. I thought this movie... Uh, This this might be one of the best movies I've ever seen, and I thought it was just man. I probably I probably agree. <laughs> yeah, it just makes me laugh because we're so like the the gap between so, like us right now is so huge. Which which is the, the, we always say that's those make the best episodes. So I'm not unhappy about yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's crazy. It, I thought it was so, so good. So when you were saying that stuff, Dave, I was like, oh my gosh, I was taking it so personally. No, no, I made this, this is the thing. Like I. <laughs> I, I'm just I, kidding. <laughs> I, I, I will, I will very happily accept that that is the case, and it's one of the, the best films that you, you've ever experienced. But I'm also sitting here thinking, I just don't get that at all. <laughs> like, I, yeah. th th there's some, like, I, I, there were moments of this film where I was sitting there thinking, how did they do this in 1921? You know, like, how did they figure out how to do this? Because this is still the like the relative infancy of, of cinema. And you've got these special effects with like the the ghostly apparition of, of uh, Death's coach driver and the spirits that he's picking up along the way, which are just dummies and comedically dummies as well. I might add the way he just chucks them in the back of the coach is, is hilarious. <laughs> um, and, and like 
I, I was thinking to myself, like, you know, if I was back there in 1921 without any knowledge of how to do this prior, uh, you know, prior, how how would I even go about figuring out how to make this work? So, like, the special effects, I thought, worked really well. Like, technically, this is a really, really good film. It's just the editing and execution which is the issue for me because the story just seems to go on and dwindle on for ages with no real payoff other than this guy's an arsehole and we Christmas caroled him. You know, like we just showed him what an arsehole he was and he changed his tune. And it's like, well, you know. It's, it's all, I was just giving you shit. We've, I've got Sightseers. You've got your movie. Andy's got, uh, what, Army of the Dead probably. Yeah. Um, no, with, but this is the thing. Like, you know, with, with you, could, you could very much come at it and be like, you know, this is one of the greatest movies from a technical point of view that I've ever seen. And I, w- I would immediately be like, yeah, I can, I can see that, especially if you're talking about for the era. Because you can't yeah. hold this film um, up to 2023 20, standards because it would just be right. a completely pointless thing to even try. There's 100 years plus of filmmaking experience that, that has been garnered and, and tucked away yeah. between then and now. But for the era, like this, this is technically, this is a brilliant, brilliant film. And it's, it's a, a bit of a triumph, actually. Uh, I just from a storytelling point of view i was just bored out my fucking skull frankly um but again that's not to take away because everyone enjoys stories in different way yeah no totally i I interrupted you i'm sorry yeah Uh, i I did as well i apologize (laughs) (laughs) so at some point during the movie i thought to myself this movie exists and a hundred years later there's still people think that movies can't be art and then after the movie, I looked on Wikipedia, and there it says, Upon release, a reviewer for the magazine The Bioscope concluded that wherever the phantom marriage is shown, it will help to add dignity and importance to the art of cinema. <laughs> and I thought to myself, well, a hundred years ago, someone had the same thought <laughs> as me yeah, watching crazy. this movie in, in 2023. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, there's a... No, there's the neighbors uh, and their drill again. <laughs> I hope that doesn't come through too much. Uh, uh, I don't fine. know. We can uh, we can hear so, it barely. You're fine. It adds yeah. ambiance. <laughs> um, yeah, Dave mentioned several things that he didn't like that had me excited to no end. Ooh. The flashback within flashback. Me when too. <laughs> David David Holm tells the story of. George telling him the story of the phantom carriage and then we see George telling that story and then we see the story and I thought to myself 1921 and they are so far ahead of probably everyone else in doing these methods of storytelling of a of a flashback yep. within a flashback mm. um I, I I don't know how many movies did that before this one and if audiences were I don't know, used to something like that. It was probably a technique that had, well, it, it definitely was a technique that had already been done in literature. Um, um, Arabian Nights uh, is like the, the prime example for doing things like that. But I don't know if movies had done that um, as much before this one. Um, so storytelling-wise, I was absolutely drawn into it. I felt really modern and advanced in a way. Um, it's dense. Uh, so, the yeah, uh, the only thing is, so if you if you would show me a, a modern movie with the, this kind of magic uh, message, uh, it would be w- way too 
preachy religious for me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's that's n nothing that I want out of a modern movie. But in, I I can absolutely accept that in in 1921. And I also had the the Christmas Carol um, reference with the movie. It, it definitely is is that kind of story. But I was absolutely drawn in just by the performances by by the filmmaking by the editing by the special effects the double exposure that they used to to give the scenes that that ghostly effect that that, that carriage um going through through the sea the, the, the ocean when, yeah when, mm. yeah when 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 death arrives or the the driver arrives at the so there's this guy that shoots himself on new year's eve and he he he's on the floor and then the driver comes into the room and he he like picks up the ghost of the body on the floor so we still mm. see the body on the floor and the body in in the driver's arms and you did not see that there's two bodies on the floor mm. yeah. when when the driver walks into the room so the the the, the just the, the pre precision of the te technique here is marvelous because mm. As and it says on Wikipedia, I, these cameras were hand-cranked. Hand-cranked yeah, cameras. So double exposure with a hand-cranked camera. <laughs> so it needed to be cranked at exactly the same speed and pace as the first go-around to make this effect work. And they don't do it just once. They do it all the <laughs> yeah. time in this movie, the double yeah. exposure. And it looks fantastic. So I, I think this movie is unbelievably marvelous i i think they have a slight advantage in that a lot of the time when they're doing that and this isn't to take away from it at all because I, i've said myself like from a technical point of view this is this is a really really good film um they are smart in that there are very few scenes where both exposures have live action elements to them and what i mean by that is that like a lot of the t like the for, for example the coach going over the sea for example there's nothing in the seascape which relies on them being exactly the same frame rate. They just need but to marry still, the two. But they still have up. to crank it. That's the that, they, that's the thing that's still, crazy. They still, have to, they crank still crank have to yeah. hand crank it at the same speed. Which yeah, is but it's not that they're having. Insane. They're not having to marry one scene up to another for a majority of the movie because there is yeah, one like scene that I'll mention. Um, yeah, the, like for example, the body scene, right? You've got a guy literally lying still on the floor, and then over the top of that, you have the double exposure of of the coachman picking up the dummy, which was laid in the same position. You don't have to sync one image to the other, but you do have to still crank it. <laughs> oh yeah. my god, you guys were cranking it all through this movie, from the sounds of it. Um, <laughs> but you do you do have to crank the camera at an appropriate rate but if you drop a frame here or there it's not going to make a massive difference in the same way as it might do later on when um david holm uh it, the story ends and he kind of like crawls over to the bedside of sister what's her face and he can he eat it and he, he puts his hand on top of hers and again they're quite careful in how they construct that scene so that there's nothing that a couple of frames either side is going to affect massively. But, you know, it's still very... Technically, like, it's just a ridiculous bit of cinematography for 1921. It, it really is. And again, I'm not also, taking anything away from that. No, no, for sure. And, Andy, the, the thing you mentioned about the storytelling, that was also one of the things that 
that really surprised me. I, I was so prepared. Like we, we talked about uh, the penalty last week. Um, we all enjoyed that one, you know, quite a bit as well. Uh, but there was a big difference in how it felt. I'm, ass- I'm assuming it's the Swedish American difference. Um, maybe it was one of those things where like um, Carnival of Souls was another movie I thought about. Well, during this one where it was like all the stuff that they were doing that was so ahead of its time. Um, but the, uh, yeah, the dead, like the, the actual density of the script was what surprised me. And like those, those mm. moments, instead of just having a very, um, you know, ABC narrative, it goes all over the place. But then also we get all of these little glimpses of other people that are living in this world. Like that guy that kills himself, um, on, on New Year's Eve, which another thing, pretty dark movie. <laughs> like you can, you can see how, you know, it fits into the horror genre, but also like talking about, you know, themes of, of suicide, just the, the ending with, you know, she's going to poison herself and their kids to keep mm-hmm. them from him. Like there's, there's all of this really heavy stuff in the, in the film that, um, is a hundred years old <laughs> and the sort of, I guess, just risks that they were taking in terms of how they were telling the story. But then on top of that, this was another thing that captured my mind a lot too, is you're talking about like the very, I don't know, Andy, you, you, I'm sure you know, or I'm guessing you know the dates, but like how early is this into filmmaking? Like how, how new would have just films that people go to Ben at this point in 21? Good question. I'm not entirely sure, but I think um, officially like a film was invented in like the 1890s. Okay. So we're like maybe in the third. 1888. Decade. 1888. The round hay garden scene shot in 1888. Um, Okay. Four people walking in the garden. uh, And then there would have been like the locomotive stuff. In fairness, it was 2.1 seconds. So it wasn't actually a feature film, but that's as far back as it was. So even then, like 40 years. Okay. And the, so both the techniques that they're doing, obviously the double exposure stuff, I think on Wikipedia it mentioned that they had done it in one other movie, but not to this degree, not to this level. Mm -hmm. Um, but so beyond just the specific special effects that were groundbreaking, it's so interesting to me thinking about all of these people, these actors, the <clears throat> the cinematographers, the director, everyone is doing this thing that is almost brand new <laughs> as as a profession, as a form of entertainment. Um, it wouldn't have been something that has this like, you know, extremely long storied history like we have now. That just kind of, I don't know, for whatever reason, that kind of blew my mind thinking about that, is that I was trying to think of an equivalent now. It would almost be like someone making something ambitious in like VR, or I don't, I don't know what it would be. Um, I'm not saying VR is the, the future of cinema or anything, but it, it wouldn't even necessarily be that, because it would have been this completely brand new medium that's, anyway, going off on a bunch of different tangents. But yeah, I, I, I was so shocked at how dense um and sort of layered the narrative was and uh how willing they were in letting him be a total asshole like there's there's all of these it's a wonderful life christmas carol comparisons we think of absolutely totally agree there uh but in those movies too like you're dealing with people who like scrooge is scrooge but this guy like he's flicking his kids noses when they're sleeping and laughing at them and coffin is tuberculosis right into their face like because he thinks it's funny like this guy sucks Mm -hmm. and we're allowed to see him be uh you know this total piece of shit like all the way up until he (laughs) he dies 
And I totally agree with what you were saying earlier, Andy, the sort of either sappiness, like kind of saccharine element that would be in an ending like that doesn't happen. You don't feel it as much as well. I think both because, yeah, you put it into context with what audiences were used to back then. But then also beyond that, like you said, the acting, like I was expecting there to be like, hey, I, I, I've come to say I'm sorry. You know, oh, David, I'm so happy. The end. And it's not that. Like, he sits there crying. She's crying. She doesn't believe him. Like, there's there's a back and forth that's happening there. And he has to convince her, like, I, I want to be a better person. There's still part of you that is going to think as a 2023 filmmaker, you know, whatever. Like, okay, is that really going to happen? You know, abusive relationships, et cetera, et cetera. But they go to way further links than I expected them to, to really sell the the... I don't want to say conversion because I don't want to put it in like a Christian lens, but to sell that change, that, that arc that he has, that is, is genuine. I don't know, man. I was so fucking into this movie. I thought it was so good. It, it just, I, this is like the, the sweet spot for me, I guess, between this and Caligari. And, and I wonder how I want to see more silent films across. Yeah. (laughs) So it's the golden age of cinema for me, 1921. I mean, there's a, there is that moment where he's holding her head in his hands, and um, you're absolutely right. Like you're not sure whether or not this is really a turnaround moment, or if it's just the latest in a long line of him. You know, like when he's in the prison cell and he he says uh, yeah. he comes to that realization um, with his brother, and it never really doesn't really take, does it? Um, and and so you wonder if this is just another in a long line of that. But he he does utter that line that the coachman um tells him which is uh you know that um was it something like before my soul is reaped i i want it to be fully mature or something like that it's something to, yeah. that, to that effect it's a great line it's a great line which unfortunately i've completely butchered because i can't remember it well but it's it makes me wonder if he has actually turned a corner because he was listening and, and he took in the lesson and what he was told and i, I think so i think yeah. that's definitely what they're 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 conveying mm. is that the his at least in that moment he's incredibly sincere and he has become a changed man or wants to become a changed man Mm. like another part where he's an asshole he rips those patches off of his coat after she sews them all on all night yeah holy shit and the the (laughs) joy on his face while he's doing it as well is something oh man i just i didn't like him as a as a character at all i thought that the acting was very good maybe maybe he, oh, yeah. he specifically asks for her so that she can do it he yeah. can do it in front of her yeah yeah and i, I think may, maybe i'm just getting down to the point where i'm realizing that like i love everything about this movie except for the story itself which is just way over long for what it's trying to do but at the same time it's 1921 and like you know they're experimenting with storytelling and I don't know. There, there was a section for me, Dave, where I had to look at Wikipedia to make sure I was. And it was the section. It's kind of they they split it into acts or whatever they call it in yeah, the movie. Like I think five it was different like acts. Act, yeah, yeah. I think it was like Act Three or Four. It's where they show the another flashback where um, Edith met them at the thing and they went to the Salvation Army thing mm-hmm. and he doesn't show repentance at all and it's the whole thing where she feels guilty about bringing them back together. I had to look at Wikipedia a couple times to make sure I was following it right just because it was jumping around so and it's not even the flashbacks i i I didn't take them as linear 
Um, like you mentioned earlier in terms of like however many months or years or whatever, mm. like I, I didn't, I just viewed them as in the past and we were getting more of the story as it went on to fill in why Edith felt the way she did, why there was, then you see that there was a reconciliation that was temporary, yeah. um, which sets up the whole shining thing, which I'm sure we'll talk about, <laughs> um, you know, right after. Yeah. But in there was a couple moments in there where I was like, let me pause it and check Wikipedia, <laughs> mm. make sure I'm not mm. lost. So but, it does get a little, yeah. yeah. Is little it, um, clustered. I think may, maybe I'm just hanging on to that one negative a bit too much, but genuinely, I was just like, it, it, at the end of the day, like for me, and this is just me personally. I, I know that people will come at this from different angles, and everyone jives differently with their um, with with their film going experience. But if I'm watching a film where like like the centerpiece of any film is the story being told, and the delivery of that story, the pacing of it. And for me, like, if the pacing isn't good, if the story isn't worth the time, not not worth the time, what am I trying to say? Like, if you can tell this story in less time, why haven't you? And that was well, kind I, of I know one of the issues that I was having, was it just felt so drawn out to the point that yeah. actually, you know, if, if it wasn't for the fact that we were going to be reviewing this, I don't know if I would have got to the really good bits of the film because like apart from anything else that opening half an hour is just such a fucking struggle to get through there's so little <laughs> going on there there's obviously the the the, the murder which uh, did they only have one take was, was the bottle meant to be smashed on I his thought he right hit him tip? in the head well you said the chest and no, I was like hit him in the chest hits him in the chest I thought head too no oh, you can you yeah, can see check. the liquid soak into the right breast uh, I thought that was blood because I thought he got hit in the head and then you see blood come out of his mouth. I mean, I watched it twice. Um, I was fairly certain I'm going to have to watch it again. Um, no, I'm not saying you're, yeah, you're wrong. I just, I, I, I must've seen it completely differently. The, yeah. the other thing you mentioned in that part too, my understanding with the stroke of midnight thing was it's not the stroke of midnight. It's just the last person to die in the year before midnight, before mm. the new year starts. And right. then that person is death for the next year. For the next year. So when when George shows up, he's going to have to take over his job for the next year hmm. until he gives him that other chance. Also, within the like lore of the supernatural stuff, I thought it was interesting that he doesn't take Edith, and he says there are others that will show up for her later. Yeah, and then we never see them. And I'm like, come I, on, show I me assumed, some angels. Well, that's what I was going to say. I assumed that that meant angels, which means that all these people are going to hell <laughs> that he's picking up. Yeah, it's a good um, point. Because yeah. at first, that that's not a distinction. It's just death. Mm. It's it's not a, a heaven or hell thing. So I thought it was interesting that they added that in because well, then I was like, well, who's this guy? Then? The only people he it, picks like, up. Obviously, it's been, yeah. The only people we see him pick up are all shitheads in, in one way or another. Not to say that... Uh, maybe I should. Walk we that don't one know back. about the guy in the water. <laughs> no, I, I, I need probably walk that back a bit. But like the guy that shoots himself in the head, depending on which religion you're supposed to be yeah, representing, was, yeah, that's Mortal an automatic one way ticket, right? Um, yeah. Then you've got David Holm himself, who like no one's going to argue for a second. He doesn't deserve to roast. Um, the guy, <laughs> yeah. guy in the water, I've, I, I don't know, but I think that you're batting two for two at that point. So maybe it's a fair assumption that. He's just picking up yeah. the uh, the people that are going down rather than up. Um, but I would have liked to see the angels or the Valkyries or whoever the hell it was that was coming for her. Um, 
But that was see, that was enough for me that there was something different. I thought that I was mm. like, oh, cool. So there's a mm. this isn't as you know, not to say that the idea of death is simplistic, but that's obviously been a trope that's been around forever. Not not even a trope, just a a part of you know yeah. supernatural existential storytelling. I mean, that's a huge part of it. Whether it's the personification of death in this case or just death itself. Um, so yeah, that the, they added something to that. I was like, wow, that's that's crazy. The movie was so many little surprises. Yeah, where I was I was expecting. I don't know if I was expecting something like the penalty necessarily, but I was expecting something more in that ballpark in terms of mm. the the execution. And on every level, I, I thought the execution way surpassed what I expected. Mm. Um, and I was just uh, even like the the titles, like the inner interstitials, inner titles, whatever they're called. Um, I love the use of those in terms of how they were spaced out. Um, sometimes we would get one when someone is saying a lot, uh, but other times we don't, and we mm. have to kind of fill in, in those gaps. Um, and then there's also just the, the writing of it, the way that the dialogue is written and the, <clears throat> any kind of background stuff. I, I was really into all of those. I didn't feel, I mentioned last week with the penalty that there were times where I had it on double speed on YouTube, just so I could get through the scene because i was just waiting for title cards i never felt that way with this one you um, see i had the exact when i got title cards i i was yeah. like okay that fills that in but I, otherwise the acting did a lot of the lifting for me i had a, the exact opposite reaction between the two movies for me like the penalty just kept me hanging on and i didn't mind the lack of uh title cards and actually as i mentioned last week I thought it was refreshing that they uh, made a film where they let the acting tell the story and they only inserted title cards where it was absolutely necessary to push yeah. the plot along. Um, I, I think it's great in the penalty too, don't get me wrong. Oh um, yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, but I just find it interesting yeah. that while you felt that way, I actually felt the opposite way around because for me yeah. with this one, I, I would have preferred actually if they'd maybe like saved a little bit on title cards and just moved the action along a little bit quicker. Because like my, uh, I I think I've been spoiled slightly by the penalty because we've started off with an American movie with American sensibilities of moving the plot along, and I guess that you know for for all of the film education I've had over the years, I do still tend to um, vibe a lot better with kind of Western, uh, and by Western I mean American, because <laughs> the biggest film market in the world. Uh, storytelling and, and the pacing of it. Like I don't watch a lot of Scandi drama. But the more I think about it, the more I, I'm thinking, actually, this completely uh, lines up with that style of storytelling where everything is very slow and environmental and doesn't really break its neck to get where it's going because it will get there eventually. Um, this is the, the A24 silent film of its, of its time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, really, I was disappointed that there weren't as many comfortable pullovers in this film as I was expecting at the time. <laughs> um but I did. I tell you what. There's a chair in this movie which I was just like, "Well, fuck IKEA. Why did you ever spawn IKEA when you were making furniture like this? It had three front legs. <laughs> like this chair is like side on, and it's got three legs that dovetail into one at the front. And I'm just like, Jesus Christ. Maybe I've been watching New Yankee Workshop for too long. But I, I really appreciate that chair's design. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> maybe it was just how bored I was at that point. I was just looking for something to engage with. See, I was I interested. I know in... how we can get. 
I think I know how we can get Dave to like this movie. We just have to recut it and take <laughs> each of the five chapters as one episode, give it its own uh, <laughs> title credits and end credits as a five-part um, mini-series, and then he will watch it in half an hour. Well, you say you, That's true. <laughs> you, you, you say that, but there, there's there's not any Japanese in it, and um, I never really. The reason I don't watch much Scandi drama is because I don't really get on with Scandi drama that well. So, um, well, I did watch the Tunnel, which was the British attempt at remaking the bridge. So, yeah, I don't know. The thing I, uh... that I wanted uh, to talk about, um, because uh, Dave mentioned the, the thing with the two brothers in jail and, and the confusion about the timeline here. So I th the way I think this scene played out was that David is about to be released from prison and the warden says to him, you're about to get out, but before you go out, let me show you something. Here's your brother. He killed a man. He killed a man because you dragged him down and he became a, a, a lowlife just because of you. We think you should actually do the time, but this is not how justice goes. So before you go, let me show you this so that maybe oh, you rethink okay. your lifestyle. And yeah. then he was released. Maybe they could yeah. have made that clearer in the uh, title cards then. But that's, yeah, that's the, probably at the first the title of, card yeah. does make it sound like he's gonna make him serve it because I said out loud uh, when I was watching it alone in my in my living room I was like that's, oh, not, that's how not how the law works, works. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah you can't I mean, can't do that but then he <laughs> maybe a, he, a translation problem it could be could be yeah or I think the the delivery that it wasn't the truth is that you then see him not in jail but which isn't as clear as it could be like you said Dave there could be the assumption that he served time. And we're way further down. Um, but, yeah. I, I liked that scene with his brother, too, because he he goes over and looks at him. It was very sort of... I don't know. I don't know. I don't even know what the tone would be. Kind of creepy. But also, mm -hmm. there's, there's, there's a humanity to him. Like, it exists in there. He's not completely... He's not a sociopath. He's just an asshole. But then, what Andy's just said there has made something occur to me now, which is maybe he was just pretending that he was could a changed be. man so that he could get out and he didn't yeah. really give a shit about his brother at all he was just acting so that they would see what they wanted to see um, yeah. i have to say i really appreciate the design of uh swedish prisons if that is reflective of <laughs> what no i bear with me here bear with me here no it's just you're you're very on the uh the the architecture and and uh, <laughs> furniture design i'm loving it hey look sometimes i have to zero in on something and this is where i end up this is my default <laughs> um like the design of, of swedish prisons if, if that is actually like a working prison or if they just made a facsimile of a prison those doorways were obscenely narrow compared to yeah. like what we see in, in in everyday life and i think i know the rationale behind it it's kind of like the idea of like if a prisoner is giving you trouble then they can't rush the door if they have to then turn sideways and crab themselves out of it <laughs> so it's kind of a cool idea also it might just be to save space who knows but um i i have a uh go on. i have a design i have a design uh thought that will segue into the shining thing mm. um that that scene before it happens i i i was so focused for some reason on the set dressing, like you're talking about, like the 
the way the silverware and plates and stuff were arranged in the cabinet and, and what he was grabbing and everything. Mm. And then the ultimate reveal is that they keep their axe under a sink or like under a cabinet <laughs> or whatever. Like <laughs> it is such an unexpected place for an axe to appear out of. But uh, yeah, that scene, Andy, you sent us a, a gif of it before uh, we watched the, the movie and it's pretty shocking once you see it, um, how, how clear of an homage Kubrick was doing with the shining. Um, it's, 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 it's just the shot almost <laughs> like there's not really anything to, to, to tweak other than having a, a you know, a side shot of, of Shelley Duvall's character in this screaming, it's him hatcheting through a door with being an abusive father. It's, it's all right there. Yeah. Well, last week when I was looking for images of the, of the poster for our social media accounts, I, I came upon this, this image where someone took three images from the phantom uh, four images from the phantom carriage on the left and on the right side four images from the shining and they are basically one-to-one reinterpretations in the shining from yeah. the shots from the phantom carriage apparently it was i i have not seen a single uh ingmar bergman film but that was something i i'm sure we all yeah. read a lot on the wikipedia page this was a massive influence on on Bergman, um, there's multiple references to this film. He had um, the director, actor, writer in one of his films. I even saw he did like a television play uh, of a story about the making of The Phantom Carriage mm-hmm. um, in like the 90s. It was included on a DVD as like a supplemental. So I don't know if it's on YouTube. I haven't looked yet. Um, I thought all of that was super interesting. But Bergman is like a huge blind spot that I have. So I, I didn't have, you know, context necessarily to appreciate it. Um, but he's on my list. I, somebody I want to get to, for sure. I actually have seen Wild Strawberries. I was part of a presentation I made at uni. And reading that Victor Sjöström is the the protagonist in Wild Strawberries and then having that that image from wild strawberries in my mind i thought yeah of course that's the same guy <laughs> way older of course but yeah true, true that that is the guy and watching i haven't seen uh, maybe wild strawberries is the only movie that i've seen in its entirety mm, I, maybe i've seen two or three i'm not entirely sure anymore i've seen bits and pieces of of some bergman movies but watching um, the Phantom Carriage, I thought of Bergman a lot, definitely. Because, I mean, I've definitely seen parts of The Seventh Seal, maybe yeah. even a good chunk of The Seventh Seal. And there, there, there is a like a, a, a closeness in imagery, especially where you see Max von Sydow um, as death by, by the beach. Mm-hmm. And, and that, that image has been remade by every satire and, and animated show and whatever. So, uh, and, and, <laughs> and seeing the, the, that that carriage um, going through the water in the beginning of the movie definitely reminded me that just that that coast, that seaside. I mean, it's, it's the Swedish seaside. It's probably the same beach that they used in every movie. I don't know, uh, but yeah, <laughs> it made me think of Birdman definitely. Yeah, I need to. I think I have at least one or two um, that they've put out on Criterion that I knew Seventh Seal being one of them, where it was like, okay, this will be a movie I, I have to watch at some point. Um, like Akira for Kurosawa. I mean, there are all these that I've bought knowing, okay, these are going to be um, pretty big movies. Which, by the way, did you guys see that they remade that uh, with Bill Nighy? And it's apparently very good. A British... I'm trying to remember the name of it now. Um, 
it's like leaving or something, but it's just a straight up remake of uh, Kurosawa's Ikiru. I had no idea. No. Yeah. No. It's crazy. Okay. You don't see that happen a lot, other than um, the samurai one. But anyway, uh, do we have any other big thoughts on this? I mean, Only thing that I on. wanted to mention uh, because on. on wikipedia it says it has been characterized as belonging to several genres it has been called a morality tale a melodrama a fantasy film and a horror film and me personally i would agree to all of these so that that movie is all of these and, mm-hmm. and yeah. i think it is very masterful at each one of these genres mm. yeah um, i agree only other thing i wanted to mention was that there was one other reason which i've I've been holding on to this for a while, but I'll uh, I'll be honest. Like, I I don't know if I can ever sign off on liking a movie when it calls me a slut right at the end. <laughs> that was I forgot great. about that. Oh, that was so good. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I know I am, yeah. but I don't need reminding, and I certainly don't need someone that's dead now telling me such. Um, no, I would uh, love <laughs> that every movie ends with just bitch <laughs> you sucker set through this oh it's just Man, i wasn't I, expecting i'm it. so glad i had a joke set up for that i was gonna be like i thought it thought it was really strange that they slut shame his wife at the end of the movie is on our way out uh, jesus christ I, <laughs> we're talking uh about Haxon or however you pronounce it it's it's in the same language right i think it's also Swedish, yes. Yeah, Swedish. Okay, yeah. Uh, so <laughs> Austin, who I've brought up like a million times in this episode for some reason, he told me that uh, he watched Taxon a while back, and he was like, "Dude, at the very end, it ends, and then it just says slut on the screen." <laughs> so I, <laughs> I was, I, I didn't know this had it, but as soon as it happened, I cracked up. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> so yeah, Swedish for the end. Yeah, clearly, yeah. <laughs> but I couldn't pass up the opportunity for a good joke. No, it's um. Look, I, I don't hate the movie. I think there's lots of reasons to watch it, but I just, for me personally, it it just didn't really grab me, and um, it's unfortunate. But I know that there's uh, a lot of people listening that are going to have a very different experience with the movie from a narrative point of view. Um, I guess I'm just used to having things spelled out for me. I'm sure that if I watched Blade Runner in its original form. Back in the 80s, I would have been one of the people that would be like, oh, it's too complicated. I need narration over the top. <laughs> um, I wouldn't have been because I fucking love it. I mean, that that's movie. the original version that they released it with was with the narration. So no, I know be, because Focus Group said that they you. were confused or something <laughs> like that. It's like dumb fucking producers fucking up movies again. You know, what can you say? But uh, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a technically very interesting, very good movie. And people should check it out on their own time to see what they think of it. Which in I 2012, yeah, The Phantom saying. Carriage was voted the best Swedish film of all time, which means Dave will never watch another Swedish film. <laughs> Except next week we watch <laughs> They're Haxon. all worse than this. <laughs> I mean, you, 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 you say that, but, you know, like, there's plenty of bad films that I've enjoyed over my time. Oh, I should mention, actually... Um, I watched the Mark Commode, um, a, a clip of Mark Commode reviewing uh, Pooh, uh, Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey, and it fed my soul all of the things that I like to be fed. He was really, really annoyed at this movie, and I recommend that everyone check out the review. <laughs> I'll post it on my Twitter at some point, but... He was just he 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 gave zero fucks about the people that made that movie. He just went in with both feet, and I I love it. 
<laughs> Mark Kermode hated Babylon, so I can't take him seriously anymore. Look, even a broken clock is right twice a day, and I'm sure that the reverse <laughs> is also true, that sometimes a fully working <laughs> clock can give you the wrong time. So I, I, I would forgive him for not liking Babylon. Um, I... <laughs> Man, I, I love... I love that, like the inverse of that metaphor, just because it do- it can't be true. <laughs> like yeah. a working clock is wrong twice. Like no, it's not. It's a working clock. <laughs> well, yeah, you're right. But also, stop fucking it's up the my spirit. metaphors. <laughs> sure, it's the spirit. I understood. It's the spirit of the metaphor. Exactly. Uh, yeah. What so. are we? Uh, what are we doing for double feature picks? Andy, kick us off. Well. I mean, we mentioned several. Now that I'm the first to pick one, I will go with The Shining <laughs> and take that away from you. Uh, uh, I, I wrote down three things. The Shining uh, is what I wrote down. A Christmas Carol. No specific version of The Christmas Carol. It is Maybe for me, the, the Muppet Muppets. Christmas Carol. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I also wrote down Hereditary, a movie that I wasn't as taken with, but just the, the whole concept of grief and guilt was something that made me think of Hereditary. Yeah. Uh, I can go so next. Muppets, I, um, uh, for you, David. Yeah, I, I'm da- always good to pair it with a Muppet Christmas Carol. Um, any movie, honestly. Um, I weirdly, I think I'm going to go with uh, what was the movie I mentioned earlier? I'm not picking that one. Uh, Carnival of Souls. I thought about Carnival of Souls a lot, probably just because I like Carnival of Souls a lot too, and it has a lot of sort of um, experimental for its time, kind of influential. You can feel the influence um, that it it had down the line, but strangely i'm gonna go with under the skin (laughs) a movie that really doesn't have anything to do in any way with this movie in terms of plot or anything else but that movie had a similar effect on me it's a modern movie obviously in terms of the visual storytelling without dialogue there's a lot of it in that you know you you understand things by seeing them and trying to interpret what they are not that it's necessarily like a dream logic movie things are happening um, but you have to piece that stuff together. And there's a there's a scene by the ocean where Scarlett Johansson's character is is watching someone drown, and it's very disturbing and very off putting. And for whatever reason, I, I, I there's lots of movies with lots of scenes set on beaches. <laughs> that was the one uh, movie that it took me to during that scene of uh, you know death riding along the water to pick up that dude's body. Which, by the way, that's another the moment in terms of like. Every single time they did something, they, there was some element of it that they went, you know, further than I expected them to. There's an underwater shot of him pulling the ghost out of the dude's body, like on the <laughs> on the seafloor, which I didn't expect to see. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, under the skin. Um, I think the visual storytelling in that and some of the, the atmosphere um, is chilling in a similar way. That movie is much more uh, dark and sinister, though. So be prepared for that. Mm-hmm. Dave. Uh, I have not chosen any of those things at all, and in fact, my link is superficial at best. But I'm going to Gremlins go with two, it. the new batch. Uh, no, actually, I went with the original Gremlins. No, um, <laughs> I. So I, I was originally going to pick uh, Bleach because uh, oh, yeah. it's got like uh, people in it: Shinigami, Death Gods, Soul Reapers, whatever you want to call them. They're essentially the Grim Reaper. Uh, but then I thought to myself, no, even in the world of anime, there is a better link than that one. So I'm going to go with Death Note, which is a story about a good person who, through their dealings with a deaf god, very quickly becomes very evil. Um, versus this movie where this is a really evil person who may have turned over a new leaf through their dealings with a soul reaper 
at the very end of the film. Um, that's literally the only link. But to be honest with you, Death Note is such a fucking awesome story that I would recommend that people check it out regardless of uh, whether it was a good link or not. So I'm just basically <laughs> using it as an excuse to recommend 40-something episodes of an anime. Um, <laughs> I did enjoy the live-action film for what it was, but I wouldn't recommend that people watch that as their first exposure to Death Note because it's nowhere near as good. Um, I could also go with Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey because of the Seventh Seal um, link. Um, and also yeah. Last Action Hero, again, Ingmar Bergman's seventh seal. So, there's... Man, isn't it isn't it crazy that this movie ultimately was responsible for the Bill and Ted movies? I know, like right? that's that's not even a stretch. <laughs> like you can make that connection so easily. <laughs> like it's it was a direct influence on each thing. That's it's so crazy, fucking crazy. Um, so yeah, there, there's plenty of movies out there that are uh, related, even at a stretch to uh, to this film. But yeah, that's what I've gone with anime. On this week of all of all anime, uh. <laughs> what are we uh, what are we doing next week, Andy? Well, as mentioned, it will be Hexen from Sweden from 1922. Oh, good! A worse Swedish movie for me to enjoy. <laughs> it's, uh, uh, it's a I year mean, later. Man. I'm maybe, very... they, maybe they learned a lot of stuff. <laughs> well, you did say. I'm very that... curious. Be- <laughs> I, I think this. I think. From what I've read, Hexen might be even more challenging because it, oh, it seems uh, like it's partially documentary and partially uh-huh. <laughs> fictitious narration. So yeah, I'm, I've heard I'm the same. <laughs> well, but it's one of the big classics when people talk about horror silent cinema. Okay. Well, I'm looking forward to two weeks' time when we can talk about Japanese cinema. Um. <laughs> I'm excited about that <laughs> one, too. I never... This? heard of that when when Andy sent me the list I was like holy yeah. crap this sounds exactly like something we would want to watch and talk about on the show yeah. yeah no I'm I'm very much hoping that this is going to be a case of it's a worse movie according to some people but I actually prefer it um let's <laughs> let's see know. let's see how we go <laughs> wonderful then dear listeners let us know uh, if you have seen The Phantom Carriage and how you liked or disliked it and be back next week for the follow-up the big conclusion to Dave versus Swedish Cinema <laughs> <laughs> will this go to three rounds or will he knock out Swedish Cinema in two <laughs> I got that sweet right cross boy <laughs> Uh, thanks so much. Keep watching horror movies. See you next week. Bye. Slop. Bye. <laughs>